Today on The Topping Show, Neiman Marcus becomes even more exclusive. Tesla makes more money than ever before. The Department of Transportation is out investigating Neuralink, and Biden slams stock buybacks during the State of the Union. All that and much more today on The Topping Show. Equal everyone from tuning in. Today's episode of The Topping Show is proudly sponsored by ExpressVPN and Topping Technologies. ExpressVPN helps protect your online data and topic technologies, assist businesses with their technology needs, especially their security needs. With services, with everything from a full-blown red team assessment to a simple security scan, we're here to assist. To reach us, you can reach us at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, moving on to the business section of the podcast, Neiman Marcus reported they are now targeting its millionaire clients, which makes sense. They're looking for folks that are going to spend at least 70, 27K per year. They did a little analysis and they found that quite literally the top 2% of their clients generate 40% of the company's revenue. So that is actually a perfect example of one of the age old sales theories, the 80-20 principle where 80% of your results are going to come from 20% of your clients, which is kind of more or less what this coming down here. And they also know that of that 2%, 80% of that 2% have net worths of at least $1 million. So it's definitely going to be a smart business move. They they came out of bankruptcy, I believe, about two years ago, Texas-based company. Sadly, the founder, one of the last founders actually passed away last week. And given that the upper clientele, you can have more better profit margins when you're working with those types of items, and then you could have a better cost per sale, it's going to be a great, probably long-term plan for that company. It's noticed that the Southwest Airlines CEO actually flew American Airlines on a trip back from Dallas. This is in the middle of contract negotiations in the company. And it's one of the most difficult things to do is run an airline business and run it profitably. And looking at all the documentaries throughout my whole life, you look at Pan Am, all these companies, the two reasons that airlines always go bankrupt, fuel cost, and labor cost. Those are the two biggest reasons they always go bankrupt. It's one of the most difficult industries is why they justify giving them and receiving subsidies by the U.S. government, U.S. taxpayers, because pretty volatile. So it's kind of funny he's flying on the competitor during this time. Tesla also announced they made more money in 2002 than 22 than ever before. When compared Q4 2021 to Q4 2022, they earned 59% increased net income. This is the third year in a row Tesla has finally become profitable, though they did miss their overall goal of a year-over-year growth rate of 50%, which every business has a very aggressive growth goal to have. So it's still astonishing to see, despite the economy, despite all the uncertainty in the world, Tesla's still growing exponentially. And this is even more interesting or perhaps satisfying to the naysayers, where it seemed like for months and perhaps 24 months, there's just been day after day of hit pieces on Elon talking about how Tesla and Twitter is dividing his time and he's not giving it 110 percent of Tesla. And ironically enough, they're doing better than ever. So just goes to show you partially if you hire the best people, the teams could eventually stand up the right teams. They'll be able to run on themselves. Now going over to Ford, they actually announced they're going to build a $3.5 billion EV plant in Michigan. They're going to operate with CATL, which is a Chinese battery manufacturer, estimated to provide about 2,500 jobs. 
This continues the Ford transformation as they embrace more and more electric cars as you have the Ford Mustang E-Mach, which is their little, I guess you'd call it a little mini SUV, four-door, and that's 100% electric. Then they have the Ford Lightning truck that just debuted, which is their 100% electric pickup truck. It'll be interesting to see how the company continues to evolve. Um, I mean, everyone called it, everyone said they were crazy. I believe it was 36 months ago when they said they're not going to make any cars with the exception of the Mustang and I believe one other model. So they killed the Focus, they killed the Fiesta, which are two of the very subcompact cars. Because they realized, going back to the 80-20 principle, a majority of their profits comes from their trucks, which is the best-selling truck in, I believe, in history. When you combine, it's not just F-150, it's all F-Series. So you got F-250, F-350, and it goes up and up from there when you get into the big commercial vehicles. So it's interesting to see they're continuing to invest in electric. It'll be interesting to see which additional vehicles they add to their roster. And at the end of the day, whoever develops the next battery technology is going to be the one that has, it's going to be the next fountain of youth, so to say. We've been relying on lithium-ion batteries for decades. Coming off that, we came from nickel NICAD batteries or nickel-cadium batteries. And it seems the market's almost at a tipping point where we're reaching as much efficiency as we can get out of these things. There's, there's We're getting better and better, but it's diminishing returns. So personally, I think the next breakthrough technology is who comes up with the new proprietary material or discovers a new material for battery technology that will supplant the lithium ion technology that we currently use in pretty much all electric components manufacturers it's also an issue where there's not enough supply of lithium for everyone in the world to have a electric car it's just not possible so if electric is the route you want to go you need to find some alternative materials so it'll be interesting to see how that research process continues to go now, going back to another one of Elon's business, Neuralink, which is his interesting business idea where he's basically have an implantable chip. And, you know, the goal would be to help people with disabilities. So if you lost your ability to see or have some spinal injuries, they place a chip in the back of your skull and eventually it'll help. Well, scientifically, it's much more complex than I'm sure I'm going to say, but basically to reconnect all the neurons and basically be a miraculous piece of technology and another big push that he has with the technology another thing that's inspiring him is the technology interface because right now pretty much all the technology we have is per, pretty rudimentary in terms of we have physical hands inputting into a laptop or a smartphone and that is not hardly as efficient as how fast you could think so that's long term so short term elon is trying to help with the people with disabilities they're already doing pocs with monkeys and they actually have it to the point where a monkey depending on where they're looking at the screen or how they actually can move cursors on the screen so it's fascinating how it's already moving pretty quick now the department of transportation is actually looking into an incident a possible incident in 2019 where they're concerned about the improper transportation of monkey brains, which could contain hazardous pathogens. And that would be from the samples that they're doing or the experiments that they're doing where they're implanting the chips into the monkeys for those types of tests. So it's interesting to see Young's it seemed it seems like only yesterday the whole media and the whole every politician loved Elon because of the iconic way in which he took Tesla and more than any other entrepreneur in history made electric cars viable, cool, and now profitable, which in terms of historical provenance, that's unheard of. The only 
GM came close with the EV1, which was in the 1990s, but that was a lease-only program, so you could lease a vehicle from General Motors. And if you look into it, a lot of people say it's a conspiracy of why they canceled the product, but if you look into the finances, there are some estimates that the GM EV1, if they wanted to actually sell it to a consumer, it would cost anywhere between one hundred and ninety dollars and $210,000. And this was when gas was still relatively cheap. It was you know, under $2 a gallon so it just wasn't gonna be a viable option for the average american and they never they would never break even on that with the volume that they needed so for most of my life evs were almost a joke until elon came along and he had brilliant styling as amazing technology is revolutionary so then a lot of people suspect once he started making political statements and starting to perhaps think differently that's when a lot more scrutiny came around Neuralink, and now twitter with all the investigations and all the scrutiny that was never there before that is now there moving on to the culture part youtuber mr beast cured 1000 people of blindness by paying for their operation which is phenomenal i cannot believe there are actually people criticizing this it's nothing it's one of the most kindest acts i could possibly think of so there's some people on the internet can't think of a nice thing can't think of a I'll call them morons. I can't think of a nicer way to say it, but there are people criticizing Mr. Beast because he makes money off the ad revenue from all of his videos. And a lot of his videos, especially on YouTube predominantly, are him helping people, handing out cash, doing fun, you know, weird game prizes like stand. I think he had one one perspective or one he had one person sit in a house for like half a year and he got a million dollars for him and his family. So he does a lot of unique things, but he's doing this all on his own in terms of as far as I know, based on my little research I did on him, he doesn't have a trust fund or a parent helping him out. He quite literally reinvest everything into these videos that he makes. So, of course, he had to film the reactions of these clients or I guess um, these recipients of the surgeries so that he can get the reactions to drive that YouTube ad revenue, which is how he pays for all these things. So in terms of culture, that's probably one of the most astonishingly feel good stories I've seen in years. So a thousand people literally can see thanks to Mr. Beast. So he took them all this. I don't remember the, I apologize. I just can't remember the shout out for that actual clinic that did it, but he went to these clinics. He said, Hey, here's the money. Let's do all the surgeries. So that's probably one of the best culture stories we're going to get in 2023. Going on to more bleak or concerning culture issues. Jordan Peterson is under threat to lose his Canadian practice. If he does not undergo quote unquote re-education. Jordan Peterson is an accredited author, psychiatrist, probably one of the most rare speeds in, for many people is he wrote a profitable book. I mean, the authors rarely make a profit. It's very, very similar to a lot of movies and productions. It's kind of a crapshooter and educated guess. And his, I think, I believe his first book, The 12 Rules for Life, had over 4 million copies. And I found some points in the book quite interesting and helpful personally. So I think there's a lot of good value in the things that he does. So he's a practice clinical psychiatrist over in Canada, and he's getting a lot of hot water or controversial water, some might say, because of his statements on Twitter. And it's a very interesting thing. So now is the Ontario College of Psychi Psychiatry is levering 13 lawsuits against Jordan Peterson. The fascinating thing or the perhaps concerning thing about this, the Canadian law is anyone could file a complaint against Jordan. They do not need to be a previous patient. They don't even have had to have met him before. They still file that complaint and threaten his ability to make a living. 
and some of them are complaining of the tweets that he made. In particular, some of the tweets actually criticized Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau based on some of his more totalitarian policies of, you know, locking people in homes during COVID. And there's a couple other things that a lot of people were not happy with. And there are a lot of restrictions um, in Canada when it came to the COVID breakout, which include the trucker rally and protest. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens to Jordan Peterson. Canada, or sorry, Canada, they don't have freedom of speech. So this is a really good thing to remember. You're not allowed to actually critique your prime minister. There are actually some kids who got fined and there's an old man who actually, or elderly gentleman, he went to jail just because he tweeted a joke about the prime minister. And it wasn't perhaps a very nice joke, but they don't have the type of freedom of speech that they have in the United States. So the United States is the final frontier for free speech, in my opinion. And it's, it's something we should always take in mind. I always am of the mind that I may not agree with what you're saying, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it because I believe the best conversations are the ones where you learn a little bit about your opponent opposing ideas, have that nice debate, and the best ideas will rise to the surface. So I, I'm of the opinion that more data, the better. Let's see what's going on. So it'll be interesting to see if Jordan tries to overcome these lawsuits or Heck, if he just tries to move to the United States and start a practice here, I suspect most of his revenue these days is coming from the book deals as well as his videos that creates and his seminars. He's a he works for the Daily Wire, which is a conservative media group, and so he's a personality there. And he has you know YouTube and a couple of revenues, ad revenues behind their paywall on their DailyWire.com. And it'll be interesting to see if he just does that full time. I'm I'm it'll be interesting to see what happens to him. Going on to politics and kind of interwoven with business, Illinois recently banned assault weapons, right? Quote unquote, scary, scary black rifles. So 10 round limits for rifles and 15 round for pistol in terms of capacity. And this is particularly concerning for a business in Illinois called Rock River Arms, which is a predominantly an AR-15 manufacturer in Colonial, Illinois. And they've been operating there for since 1996. And if you look at their website, they might have over two dozen different variants or tweaks of the AR-15 design. And they have maybe two bolt-action rifles. Um, so it's it's one of those things where I don't know if they're going to be able to stay in business or if they're going to have to take out a loan to move those heavy machineries. I mean, one CNC machine is going to be the size of your of most compact cars or, or greater. And it even weighs more in a car in most cases, I would think. So... It's one of those situations where overnight that company could lose their ability to make a living and because it's not just banning the round count, it's also the gun or the rather the design of that gun, which is technically an antique. It was de designed in California, Armor Light a Rifle, the AR-15 by Eugene Stoner decades and decades ago. Uh, and so there's also a lot of sheriffs. So 80 of 102 sheriffs oppose the assault rifle ban according to QA. Sorry, um, WQAD8 News, which is a local news outlet. And a lot of people don't think the law is going to stick in terms of it. There are already lawsuits being filed, and there's going to be continued conversation around this topic because the Supreme Court has ruled you cannot ban a firearm in common use. And in terms of you look at the total sale of rifles in the United States, most of them are the AR-15 pattern, partially because there's no more patent on the design. The design is long since, the patent design is long since expired which is why you have so many businesses making the AR-15 
and they all make little tweaks to it kind of like you know most car companies have you know four wheels they just make them a little bit different and you know different materials different design maybe body panels and little technologies inside going off of that the new mexico house bill 50 uh just passed to limit or in the motion to pass to limit magazine capacities to nine rounds which is particularly concerning because those don't really exist so i suspect that was a political chess move to ban and felonize many people there might be a grandfather which is in layman's terms if you have it and then they pass it you're allowed to keep it which that is a very common thing in firearm legal and political news it's or action so to say and if a magazine will last over 100 years you just need to change the spring out so a glorified metal box or a 3d print one although i don't recommend that because that might be illegal where you live so i say that's almost impossible because most the most common limited i say you know when it comes to the limitation of magazines the most common number is 10 because california is the largest market by number of users and they passed a law quite some time ago that limited it to 10 rounds um so the only thing that has a nine round bag capacity is going to be a revolver some 1911 variants and a couple small comp sub subcompact which is kind of like a pocket pistol and defense pistols that are single stacked so overnight that just if you sell guns there that's gonna be a hard i don't know how you're gonna overcome that because that is most of your catalog completely illegal and gun stores are extremely regulated both on a federal and local level so they're not going to risk their license or their ffl the federal firearm license over something like that although this is a state issue so that'd be interesting now going to the state of the union highlights i try to pay attention to the things that most affected businesses because that's kind of one of the things i'm particularly interested in and biden slammed the corporate stock buybacks and kind of got me interested i thought i knew what it was and kind of wanted to dive a little bit more so Strictly the definition of a public stock buyback is where the company uses cash to buy back shares of its own stock on the open market. And when I first heard that, I thought maybe companies do that firstly to reduce their income tax because it costs money to do that, but actually is not a tax deductible thing. So if you have a million dollars in cash at the end of the year as a business, you're usually taxed, I believe the corporate tax rate is 39% or 35%. So all that would be taken away and given to the federal government. So a lot of companies will try to spend the money, reinvest in machinery, people, software, and other assets to decrease that tax rate because it decreased the amount of cash left at the end of the year. But so they're actually not tax deductible. And this year was the first year stock buybacks will be stock buybacks will be taxed at a one percent rate due to the Inflation Reduction Act, which I'm not sure what it has to do with reducing inflation. But semantics aside. And Biden's goal is to eventually increase it to a 4% rate. And a lot of people are wondering, what's the advantage if you're a business, why buy your own stock? Well, there's a couple of reasons. And I did a little research. I said, you know, firstly, you can consolidate the ownership. So it makes voting on certain issues and making changes to the company a little bit easier. Because technically, if you own a share, it depends on your class A versus class B. There's a lot of different nuances in publicly traded companies. But most of them have the right where if they want to make a major change, the stockholders can go to the stockholder meeting or nowadays virtually they can cast a vote to say yay or nay on many issues. So consolidating the ownership makes it so that they own more of those shares. So their say, their say in topics goes a little bit more. So that makes their job a little bit easier. Another 
byproduct is that you have limited supply, so you're gonna increase the value of your stock. And a lot of people are slamming this as a bad thing, but if I own some of that stock, and all of a sudden the price goes up by 25% because the company bought back the stock, that seems to me like it would help a lot of people with 401ks as well as people who individually buy stocks. So I don't see that necessarily as a negative thing in my opinion. And another thing it also does is it makes the company look healthier to prospective investors because you're increasing the value of that business. They have more assets via, they have more stocks. And during that present, not presentation rather, during the speech and a couple other news outlets noticed that in terms of the top stock buybacks they for, um, this year, or sorry, last year, rather, they're um, Chevron, which is an oil company, Meta, the parent company of Facebook. And it was perhaps a little funny to hear politicians slam oil companies because they're buying back their own stock because one, it will help them. It's going to help. It helps many more people will benefit that than just the single, you know, mo most things in life. There's not a singular it's a more, there's more variables in a singularity. So there's a lot more than just one party benefiting from that action. And Chevron purchased about 75 billion in stock buybacks. And some are saying they, they should have invested in production, which I mean, I'm not so sure you have many politicians who campaigned saying that they were going to destroy the oil industry and they've decreased the sample size. So the number of drilling is very, it took me a lot of research and it, it, so depending on where you are, the permits did go up, but then that's just a permit to have the land. The permit to actually drill is a separate permit. So there's a lot of paperwork. So it's hard to know if there's really a greater sample size, but at the end of the day, there's less opportunities to drill. And if you're being told you're going to be out of business, they're going to put you out of business in years. Why would you reinvest in drilling more? Especially if you look at a lot of banks past, couple of years, they're changing their finances. So they will not fund these because a lot of these companies they like to, you know, cheap cash is one of the things that helps a lot of big businesses that you get in a, you can get cash for sub 1% interest. That's a great use of investment. You just do that. You explore for oil because that's very risk, very risk intense business model because you're not how much research you're doing on the ge geographic. There's always that little risk of variability of what is not enough oil to pay for this investment. It's a big upfront investment to drill for the oil. So if anything, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if more of these oil, traditional oil companies, not only are they going to do stock buybacks, but they're going to perhaps reinvest more into alternative energies. And I know a couple of them are looking at a couple kind of like a home brewed fossil fuel or something that they can, they're synthetically making fuel, which is another interesting topic. And so it'll be interesting to see. And another highlight, which I found, I almost found comical, but so and major, major, major Taylor Green, Marjorie Taylor Green shows how much I know about her in particular. But Marjorie Taylor Green, a lot of people are so you know offended that during the State of the Union, where Biden was slamming Republicans for threatening to decrease or defund Medicare and Social Security sunset, she was yelling. She said, "Liar!" And it's something I keep hearing over the years that Republicans want to decrease those things or get rid of them. Personally, I'm in the middle, and if if you look up the definition of a Ponzi scheme, that's what Social Security is: the government forcing you to save, and the money is no longer there. It's been taken. It's so 
personally, I don't believe you should be forced to save. I think everyone should have the freedom to invest in whatever mechanisms they want, whether that's a blue chip stock investment, or maybe you just maybe you believe in one company really much, really a lot, so you just buy stock in that one company, as opposed to the government taking the money and just spending it on something else. So the only way you can get the money out is to have new people put money in. That's so I'm not a fan of it. That being said. If you look at who votes, the high, one of the highest percentages are elderly people who are on Social Security. So no, no politician, Democrat or Republican, would intelligently threaten that and say, oh, yeah, we're going to take away all that all that money from you. I mean, they would lose votes immediately. So I started to look down, go down the rabbit hole of, all right, everyone keeps saying Republicans do this. There's got to be one who said it. So I was looking into an article by the Washington Post, and they, the only thing we could find was something from Senator Rick Scott when he re released a 60-page rescue plan to rescue America from fiscal threats that contained 128 proposals. And in that proposal, he had a plan or he had an idea where all federal legislation would sunset in five years. If it's worth keeping, Congress can pass it again, quote unquote. And personally, I think that's actually a good idea because there's a, every year there's more and more laws. It's hard to keep up with them. That's, that's one of the reasons there's so many industries around it, lawyers, litigation, taxes. And I actually don't think that's a terrible idea. I think a lot of bipartisan support could be a, should get behind that idea. There's that concept in general. Now, he submitted this big proposal or this book of many proposals, 128 proposals to the Republican Mitch McConnell, and he rejected it because he said it did not represent what the majority of Republicans stand for. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but that was the main point that I was able to find in terms of a Republican actually saying we need to get rid of this or here's a plan to get rid of it. So that that was a very interesting indirect way of doing it. But again, I don't think anyone's going to bring up that broach that subject even trump um recently he told them like hey do not mess with this i believe it was during one of his conferences a couple weeks back but it's just, it's just a topic no one is brave enough to take on because it would make you look bad in the short term even if it might help everyone in the long term by giving you the freedom to choose and where you invest how you invest and get the government out of that part of your life so there's a lot of people saying that a lot of the decorum has been lost in politics these days and she was terrible for saying that during a speech and it did look a little bit childish she did she felt she did what she felt her district wanted her to do and what her constituents wanted her to do and i want to say is nothing new i mean going back to the last day of the union or a couple ones back when trump was giving one you had that famous scene where nancy pelosi actually physically tore up his state of the union script and it's just one of those things where, I mean, part of me actually would prefer if politicians were more energetic when they're debating on the floor and talking about different ideas as opposed to, you know, voting by absentee and just seemingly just be doing very little to help the, the people in middle America and, you know, a lot of us. So I wouldn't have done it. It'll be interesting to see how our constituents actually respond to it. And, but it's nothing new. Politics has been... It's been uh, interesting for several years, needless to say. Now, going over to the fun part of this show, we're going over to the business blunders part. We actually have a couple. So 
First one was Comcast had a major outage during the 2023 Super Bowl in a city called Philadelphia, which from my research is a city that may care um, about the Super Bowl. I, I, I need to dig deeper into that. That's a it's an interesting story there. And they, they claim vandalism may have caused it. So they de- I mean, I were, the other company I own, Topping Technologies, I mean, one of the biggest things we are always talking to our clients about is, you know, connectivity and redundancy so that there are no outages. And like most things in life, there's, it's not going to be a hundred percent, but you always want to have enough redundancies and backup plans so that you can mitigate that risk. And it doesn't happen at the most inopportune time, but that's kind of how life sometimes happens, I suppose, but definitely not a good look for Comcast. I doubt they'll have any serious long-term ramifications just because of the business of uh, cable companies and internet service providers allow them to divide up territories. So there's not a lot of competition typically going on to the second business blunder, which maybe it's more of a business disgust thing that I find a lot of major news networks, including CNBC are running a commercial for a $50 Buffalo, Buffalo coin tribute coin. Um, trying to tell people, Oh yeah, this is a good investment. It's worth $50. We're going to sell it to you for $9.99 plus shipping and handling. And there's a couple of things to look out in these types of commercials. And, uh, part of me is really disgusted by that because a lot of uh, older folks are affected by these commercials and I don't believe they're honestly representing the product. So let's dive a little bit deeper. So one of the biggest red flags is the coin is gold clad, also known as trash. It's, it's not really gold. It's the amount of, we'll actually get into the amount of gold, but when you think of a gold coin, like from back in the day when the United States made coins out of precious metals. It was over 90% gold. You can't have 100% because it would literally, you know, not melt, but actually it would deform and soften in your hand because that's just the nature of 24 karat gold. So it's gold clad, which is another word for gold plated, which if you look at a, a penny these days, they're not copper anymore. That's why even if you give a little micro scratch, you'll see the zinc because a major over, I think it's believe it's 99.99% of that coin is zinc because that's the only cheapest metal we could find to make it not such a loss even though last time i checked it takes two cents to make a cent and that just doesn't make sense pun intended so as gold clad it's not real gold it is a private non-monetary minting process so a private company is doing this so there's no actual currency value as opposed to a vintage coin from the 1800s as gold you technically could spend it at any store in america for the face value it's highly discouraged because of the collectible not only the precious metal part but also the collectability part a lot of people consider them, including myself, I consider them pieces of art. They're beautifully designed and craft. I mean, they're made by craftsmen. So diving into the amount of gold, they say it is clad in 14 milligrams of 24 karat gold. So 14 milligrams. So a real Buffalo coin vintage that will cost you about $2,000 cause it's mostly gold. This is only 999 plus shipping and handling. Now, if you look at one, uh, it is interesting how they measure gold weights and values. So one troy ounce is 31,103 milligrams. Again, one troy ounce, 31,103 milligrams. This coin has 14 milligrams. And I looked at the price of gold a day ago, and one troy ounce is about $1,700. And again, I'm not the best at math, but round numbers, 
there's 77, about 77 cents of gold in that coin that you're buying for $10. 77 cents. I guarantee the mill of gold, the actual coin, when you get rid of that gold clad plating, it's not any precious metal at, at all. And they give you around the red flag is, is a comes with a certificate of authenticity, which no. So you're paying $10 for a coin that costs less than a dollar to make. So they're basically printing money with this quote unquote deal. And this is something I always tell people if it's made to be limited or collectible or is being advertised like that, it really isn't. The only things in life that usually, you know, 99% of the time hit that criteria are stuff that people, your average people cannot invest in. It's not prudent to invest in. Like the last Lamborghini with a naturally aspirated V12 that came off the assembly line, I believe, I believe two weeks ago, that will be worth something for historical as well as enthusiast's sake. I mean, a lot of people are going to be willing, just like a manual Lamborghini or a manual Ferrari, when I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the gearbox or the transmission. I mean, those have only gone up in value. But again, it, it's one of those things where not a lot of people can invest in those cars. And mo most, time, most of the times, cars go down in value. COVID skewed that whole thing. So that was a crazy business blunder for the day. Do not fall for those types of deals, quote unquote. Always be vigilant. Do your research. Make sure you're protecting you and your family from all types of financial risk. Again, I don't tell people what they should invest in. But I will say, I, would, I don't think is personally, I don't think this is a prudent investment. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Do not forget to like, subscribe. Every comment helps out. Stay safe. Fight the good fight.